Oh my goodness, this is like one seriously dense episode. Episode 39 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. And my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. We've got listener questions to get to. We're going to check out my two-microphone setup. We're going to do some educational stuff with building independence over ostinatos. In our gear review section, I'll be checking out the 40th anniversary Modern Drummer Walnut Snare Drum and the 22-inch Minel Byzance Dark Big Apple Ride. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. Holy moly, let's do this. So let me just get this straight. This is episode 39. Correct. We are one away from our 40th. Yeah, man. It's time to commit to fitness. (laughs) It's time. We're going to get you off that pull-up bar and get you some new back exercises. (laughs) How are your pinkies doing, buddy? My back is tweaked again, actually. (laughs) Son of a... Do you have the pull-up bar that's in the doorway? Yeah, the Iron Gym. Yeah, I got the same one. I love it. Yeah. That thing's great. Yeah. That thing's great. I've got the perfect push-up in the Iron Gym. I've got rubber bands here uh, for, for curls and triceps and shoulders. So, yeah, nobody knows, but the Mike's Lessons facility is actually just a, a functional gym. Yeah, right? You just run laps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do wind sprints inside. <laughs> Why not? Actually, I, I actually do, like, my only cardio is our our dumpster for, like, if I have to take out the trash, our dumpster is probably a good two football fields away, about 200 yards away. So I do sprint there, throw out the trash, sprint back. Oh, wow. And that's like that's like my only cardio throughout the day, that's unless I ride my bike here. So we'll talk about that later. <laughs> How's everything with you, buddy? Uh, everything's good. Yeah, all good. It's my last, uh, you know, the semester, spring semester is almost over. So tonight's my last uh, class teaching. Okay. So that's a nice, I mean, it's great to do that class, but it's definitely nice when it's over because I get my Thursday nights back. boy, Nice, yeah. man. Speaking of teaching, I've got a full group of campers coming in, and I think since the f- first year we did it, we did it, we started camps six years ago. So I think I'm in somewhere around. We do ten camps a year, but we've done a few extra ones here. So this is probably like my 65th week long drum camp since we started doing camps, and this is the first time since week one that all, uh, or I'm sorry, since year one that all eight campers are brand new, and I don't know any of them. Oh wow, that'll be great. It'll be fantastic because my entire vibe and excitement level is really based off the experience that the campers are having. So even though the returning campers are having a fantastic experience, they're not having a first-time experience. And those are two different things that I feed off of in different ways. So when I know that everyone's having the first-time experience, the only thing I'm worried about is there's no one here to talk them off the ledge when – we we have you know day two suicide watch where everybody wants to fly home and they're like okay i thought intermediate was something very different i hate my life i'm the worst drummer ever i want to fly home <laughs> normally we have some returning campers that can talk them off the ledge and say look i i know what you're feeling i went through it too by day four you're going to hit a groove and realize wow i'm so excited that now i know what i struggle with i can't wait to go home and practice it instead of running from it so but yeah so they get here on saturday and that'll be awesome man yeah so i mean is this another intermediate camp Intermediate camp, yeah. So this whole year, the camp itself is based off the four-stage practice method. So the whole day, it's like one long four-stage practice method, meaning class one is stage one non-creative exercises to build up your physical skills. Stage two, or class two is stage two, and that's the creative stuff. That's the one that people don't look forward to. Mm -hmm. So they'll just see, we have one page in the book that is four Uh, different exercises each one bar long and all it is is quarter notes so quarter notes on the bass drum 
then exercise two is quarter notes on the cross stick. Exercise three is quarter notes on the left foot. And exercise four is quarter notes with the right hand on the ride cymbal. And all it says is three-minute solo. So you have to keep those quarter notes going with each, you know, for three minutes while soloing. That's and then great. I let them pick one limb. So I'll say, okay, Brandon, what limb? And he'll say cross stick. And then Alex, what limb? Ride cymbal. And then they have to play a three-minute solo without changing that quarter note. That's so the book looks easy as hell. The day in class is rough. Um, but once that support network starts, that's when it really starts to gel. That's why. So this year we have the embrace the suck bracelets that everyone gets on day one. And it's like, man, as soon as you can embrace what you are struggling with, we can move forward. And once the camp hits that sweet spot, usually around day three, then we hand out the eliminate the suck bracelets. And it's like, all right, now that you've embraced it, it's time to just crush that stuff. Nice. Let's just kill it. So, yeah, man. So it's it, we've only had one camp, but that first camp of every year is always nerve-wracking because I write, I, write, I write brand new curriculums for every camp or every year so I kind of see how does it go and luckily it went really good first camp so the the guys come in are in store for some treats is it the improv stuff that you think scares everybody it's everybody falls into one or a, one or the other we had a couple artists in this last camp that couldn't wait for the improv stuff uh-huh. but as soon as I told them I just need you to play, play right left kick kick for five minutes they just couldn't do it they just could not <laughs> They were like, but if I just did it here and if I just accented this and if I just threw flowers in the air and let it rain down on the drum set, it would sound like – and I was like, holy crap, just play four (laughs) notes. Why? Because I fall into the non-creative category. If you tell me what to do, I can do it for an hour. But if you say, okay, just go ahead and play something like you're walking down the street, that makes no sense to me. I can't. I don't know what that is. I'm like, do you have a PDF for that, please? (laughs) So, so yeah. So everyone here, the great thing is they fall into one or two categories and then – the people that excel in those categories support the people that struggle. So it's very cool. That's why we have to keep it at eight people and not grow into like a 50-person drum camp because I need that small network of family and brotherhood and sisterhood to just kind of happen inside the camp where it's like, look, I'm not I'm not the leader. I'm just kind of pushing this thing forward. But you guys are peer-to-peer teachers. You guys need to help each other out because you're probably closer to each other in relationship to your skills to each other than I am to you. So yeah. you guys can actually help each other more than I can even. So. That was the best part about music school for me. It wasn't, I mean, I had some great teachers, but it was hanging out with my classmates yep. after hours or whatever between classes and just shedding, just learning from each other. It was I, ju- I, I just talked to a, uh, one of our former campers on the phone who's a school at Berkeley School of Music right now, and he's really struggling with should I stay and graduate? It's really expensive. Or I know what Berkeley is now. Can I go home? And I said, the only thing you will not get at home is that think tank environment of students around you. You can get the Berkeley education. You can buy the books. You yep. can find great teachers. But you can't get 20 drummers that are pushing themselves every day to be around you. And every time you think about slacking off, you walk past a practice room and hear somebody working on something. Yep. That encourages you. So those are the things that I think music school is best for more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to get some, some questions in here. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're not answering Sorry, any questions Sorry, guys. We're anymore. done with your questions. <laughs> questions are 595. Just send your check to uh, info at MD. <laughs> info at MD. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Dang it. Info at mo- – no. I got this. Wait. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. First question is from James. Um, and he's he's he sent a ton of stuff, so I'm just going to pick one one of the easier ones for us to tackle this week. So he wants sure. to know if you were recommending a a three ply kit, 
um, is there a real difference between the Broadcaster versus the Ludwig Classic, Legacy Classic versus the Sakai Trilogy, or the other alternatives such as CNC, RVH? Oh, that's awesome. Well, I would assume that you probably have more experience since you maybe have uh, tested a few of those, and I only have the Broadcaster. I can tell you that there is a huge difference between a three-ply shell in Gretsch and a non-three-ply shell because my Brooklyn is made out of the exact same wood. Brooklyn is maple. uh, What is the middle? uh, Poplar. Or gum. Maple, poplar. poplar. No, it's maple. Yeah. So that's USA Custom is the gum. Uh, so it's maple, poplar, maple, but it's a six ply shell. That's the Brooklyn. And yeah. then I have the Broadcaster in the exact same sizes and even the same finish. So you can't even say the color threw it off. Mm. And that's the three ply shell of maple, poplar, maple. And I've all week long, I've been going back and forth between the two kits, and they are remarkably different. The three ply shell is Flat out vintage, yeah. and then the Brooklyn is is much more modern, more attack, and it just has a much more modern sound and the exact same sizes. So, but as far as how they compare to other companies, maybe you know a little bit more about that. Uh, essentially, they're going to be very, very similar. I think it comes down to the hardware, the hoops, like Gretsch mm-hmm. puts. What do they put on broadcaster diecast? Three hundred two. So no, they put the Brooklyn hoops. Okay, so, so I mean that's a, that's an even better comparison for Bro- Brooklyn versus Broadcaster. It's the exact same hoops. Okay, and but is it and a I five have lug same, Rectom or is it a six lug? Five lug. Yep, everything is the same, and I have that vintage bass drum mount on both vintage hardware on both. So uh, for me, the only difference is the shells. Okay, well, yeah. So if you're looking across brands, but looking for a three ply, as long as the shell composition is the same, so it's a poplar core with maple on the outside. Um, actually, most of the old vintage stuff is mahogany uh, and poplar. But if it's a maple three-ply and they're all the same composition, it's really just going to come down to the hardware that you that you like, that functions the way you want it to be. The the bearing edge that they put on it is going to affect the sound a little bit. Um, the hoops are definitely going to affect the sound a lot. So if they have die-cast versus triple flange versus 302 versus single flange, that, that makes a huge difference. Um and that's kind of it, the drum heads that they might choose to put on it. But Now, do you think, do you know of anybody that kind of goes, I guess, a happy, a happy medium of maybe something like the three-ply shell, but then they put more modern bearing edges, like a 45-degree bearing edge on? Or do most people, if they're going to go three-ply shell, or most companies, are they going to go with more of a 30-degree rounder bearing edge? Yeah, I don't think I've seen any that have sharp edges. I could be wrong, but yeah. I think it would defeat the purpose. You'd be, exactly, you'd be kind of negating one of those plies by by cutting it so sharp. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I think they're all going to sound vintage, and the same thing if you just get an old three ply shell. That's kind of what they're all chasing. So it just comes down to which brand you want to go with, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and I think there has to be brand identity too. And I don't. I think that it's kind of weird. Like you always listen to pro drummers, and they're so adamant about like like kind of hating on the man and you got to go for sound and all this. And it's like, hey, there's there's reasons that advertising works. And, you know, when you sit down on your drum set and you're playing that same front bass drum head that Vinnie Caliuta played or that Max Roach played, there's a certain vibe there. Yeah. You know, or, or, or if you grew up just studying nothing but Ringo Starr, then you're going to feel weird on a Tama. But yeah. when you play that Ludwig, you're going to be like, no, this is it. Even if it was the exact same sound. you know. So I think brand identity is really important. Who's Who's got the brand and the artist that you identify with? Who's got the finishes you identify with? That's super important. Being able to walk into a room, see your drum set, and be like, oh, 
I love that thing. Yeah. I love that thing. You know, my the best sounding DW I ever played when I was a DW artist was a rental that they had, and it was actually here in Sacramento, and I I could rent it for recordings anytime I wanted or whatever, and it was Salmon, and or oh. they tried to tell me it was Salmon. It was pink. It was straight <laughs> up pink. It was like not Salmon. It was pink, and. But so I would never ever be excited to play that drum set, but it was the best sounding drum set they had. It sounded phenomenal. Oh. And it just happened to be pink. So it's kind of one of those things where if that was my drum set, even though I would know it was the best sounding kit they made, I would walk in the room and be like, I have a pink drum set. Like, <laughs> and I would tell my friends it was Sam, and they'd be like, no, it's pink. And it's like, so it's like, there's nothing wrong with loving the way your drums look, identifying with the brand, and then finding that sound. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's the lugs. That's always oh totally like, like there's some brands that I just don't like their lugs and no matter what I'm never going to play their drums. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I'm, I'm so with you, man. <laughs> so with you. And you know what's funny too is the the tube lug thing on snares to me is super pro and super vintage and I love it. And when I see tube lug snare or tube lugs on toms, it seems cheap to me. Oh, really? Some weird. I think because it got identified with the custom companies of the mid two thousands. Yeah, everyone just started ordering these tube lugs, and it went from being the special vintage thing to like, Everybody. oh, that's what hap- that's what's on a shine yeah. custom kit, you know. Uh, and so yeah, and it just kind of got weird. But sometimes you just need to stay classic. Ludwig, Gretsch, Slingerland, good stuff. Yeah. So the next question is very similar. Um, this is coming from Joseph. He recently, well, he's talking about how. DW bought the rights to Gretsch for, mm-hmm. for distribution. Um, he's wondering if any of this stuff has happened with other brands that isn't so publicly known. So are DW, Pearl, and Yamaha, um, or if he's buying a Mapex kit, is it actually going to the Pearl Company? He wants to know if we sure. know of any other alliances. Um, and uh, I don't know, how much should I... <laughs> I was going to say, like, really? How much do you want to talk about this, bro? (laughs) Do you want to get this cleared first? Well, let's talk about the ones that we can talk about. First of all, when DW made that purchase, they were buying products out of the Fender catalog, out of, um, what was that company called? Uh, Command. Command. KMC, yeah. yeah. Yep, the Command Music Corporation. So they they were, what was happening was they were getting... I, I, Fender was liquidating that stuff, really, so they could just kind of become their own individual brand and not have to deal with all these other brands. And so DW came in and picked up what they get. They got Gretsch, Cat Percussion, Tom, uh, uh, Toka and LP, Toka and LP, uh, Ovation Guitars, yep. and Gombok, maybe? Or did they already have no. that? No, that's... Uh, DW no, had that's that back Sabian. in the day. Gombop is Sabian. okay. So, so they, they got a bunch of companies, and it didn't mean they bought the companies, but they got a bunch of companies, so we know that. And then there was a deal at the time. It sounded like DW was going to get the distribution rights for Sabian, actually, at the time, yeah, because they were with Command, but that ended up not happening. Right. So Sabian is still on its own. So what, what about Mapex? Because they're owned by, is it Jupiter or? Uh, KHS is KHS. The, the, the main company. So. It's a difference between like guitars? distribution deals versus who yes. owns the company. Who owns so, the company, yeah. Yeah, so Mapex it actually is a brand of KHX, KHS, and then KHS recently acquired the rights for Sonar. Oh, So it doesn't okay. mean that buying a Mapex kit, you're actually buying a Sonar or vice versa. It just right. means that they're being handled by the same international distributor in the U.S., right. Right, I believe that's, and that's. I'm assuming that's why Sonar's booth is always in the Honar booth, yeah, which exactly. is HSS. Got it. Yeah. So that right now, and then I mean, 
I guess I could mention a little bit. I mean, I think the high-end lines of every company, you can rest assured that they're unique to them. Yes. It's when you get into the imports that if it says it's made in China or made in Taiwan, it's quite possibly all the same stuff. But uh, that's why you're getting the cheaper versions of that brand. Yeah, and it's not just it's it's not just cheap or affordability. I know that making a metal snare drum in the U.S. is it it's not even expensive. It's hard to do, and they're just set up to do it really well in China. So it's not that you have these U.S. companies that are just trying to save some pennies. It's 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 just a way it is. I know that I was talking to Meinl about cowbells, and I love this one LP cowbell. Just love it. And they were telling me, like, that kind of steel can't be made anywhere other than in the United States from this one guy. He's he's uh. the guy that makes all of LP's cowbells. Because so, I was saying, like, why don't we just do this? And, and Udo was explaining to me, it's not quite that simple. Metal isn't quite the same as wood. It's a very difficult process. And we can't just do that unless we, you know buy out LP's line, you know, right. and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't, I would never even think that. So anyway, so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on with that stuff, but I think like you said, if you're getting, and even with Gretsch, I think people think that Gretsch is getting made inside the DW factory and it's not the South Cal- South Carolina factory is still fully functioning. That's where all the U S made Gretsch drums are coming from. Yeah. Um, DW's only influence so far has been on cleaning up the quality control, which is fantastic, and on some of the hardware things. So they are using their power at DW to kind of say, okay, could this throw-off be any better on the Gretsch snare drum? And they are fixing that kind of stuff. But their main thing was we need Gretsch to be more Gretsch than it's ever been. That will help separate DW and Gretsch. Otherwise, it becomes one muddy product and no one buys either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so that's, hopefully that answers a little bit of that. So the um, next question is coming from Simon. He wants to know our opinions on muting symbols with tape. Um, what do we tape symbols? Why or why not? Or is there a better way to mute a symbol? Um, but what do you really, really, what I really want, uh, I guess he's, English might not be his first language. Sorry, Simon. But is there a better way to mute a symbol? I uh, really want a dead ride or hi hat for a hip hop gig. I would die if he's in Oregon right now. Like, I know. What do you mean English isn't my first language? <laughs> Sorry, Simon, but <laughs> I really w- want with it with an apostrophe between the N and the T. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's hella want. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? I really want not. Okay, so what about you? Do you do you often change the tone of your symbols? I don't often. It's only if. Um, if I need more articulation, I'll use I'll put a little piece of tape or a moon gel or a drum tack or something on a ride cymbal. Um, I very very rarely mute hi hats, although I've seen um, you know Carlton Barrett with Bob Marley. He had a piece of chamois in between his hi hats to kind of give him really his sound. Yeah, well, I didn't. It's kind of neat, um, but yeah, I don't do it a ton. I've seen some guys really tape them up. Joey Barron, who's one of my favorite jazz drummers, he. He can get his rides, his rides, and will sound on anything because he just like covers in tape, like really? to the point where there's almost no sustain, and that doesn't do anything for me. I usually just have to tamp down a little bit of the wash. Like if I'm on a gig and the ride is just kind of opening up too much, I'll just put a little tape on it. it seems to do yeah. it. Yeah, I feel you. I, I, I'm the same. The only reason I think when we went with the transition ride when we were building that thing and. and my goal was let's give it a lot of life because I can always take life out of it. I can always put tape on it, but I can't ever put life into a symbol. Yeah. You can't 
give it more brightness or anything. So, um, but I, I, I mean, really, I get to a room. You know, my I, I chose my symbols to sound exactly how they sound. Yeah. So it's really if I get to a room, I'm like, oh my goodness, or or I or maybe the gig is way smaller than I thought. And I'm like, oh man, I, I'm going to gaff my symbols a little bit. But it's pretty rare that I, I, I tape anything, unless I think taping is more for if you're going for an effect. They they sound like toys in a really cool way when yeah. you tape them up. So I mentioned it in the last week's podcast, but definitely check out the track from uh, Benny Greb's brass band called Hot Dog, and you'll hear what it sounds like when someone tapes all their symbols and. If you're as good as Benny Grubb, it sounds pretty darn awesome. Yeah, it's like the Jack DeJohnette signature line. Only totally. he can play them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my. Those, you're, are you talking about the Sabian ones? Yeah. Those really dark? Oh, He's I was the only working, person who can play them. I was working in a music store when those came out, and I was like, wow. And this was ugly symbols weren't cool yet at all. Shiny was yeah, cool. Yeah, that was like the first. Yeah, totally. And I was like, oh, these are horrible. And then I hit them, and I was like, oh. They hurt my teeth. <laughs> I don't like them. And uh, it was rough, man. And it's so funny. Then, like, 10, no, 20 years later, JoJo Mayer comes out with the Fierce Ride, which is pretty much almost the same thing. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's the sound. <laughs> so, Jack DeJanette ahead of his time, as always. By the way, I watched. Are you the one that put up that uh, video with DeJanette and. Um, Keith Jarrett? Yeah. Yeah. That I watched band, that. That was fantastic. That band is my favorite. If he would just oh. stop grunting. That's the one. Okay, thing. so that is him, right? That's I thought Keith there was something wrong with my speakers. No, that's Keith Jarrett. He just he grunts the whole time, the entire time. Oh, it's so. I was like, what is that? <laughs> I'm getting some weird frequency because, but he grunts what he's playing. Just so it's not just, in any kind of pitch. He just yeah, like exactly. Yeah. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for his emails. Oh, he doesn't listen. <laughs> no, he does not. I've heard enough stories to know that he does not care any. Thing about what we have to say. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do we have any more? Or are we moving forward? Sure. Let's move forward. So, uh, all right. So, this next question was going to lead us into our, our next topic. So, I'll just go ahead okay. and, and put the question out there, and then we can see if we can answer it via, via our next discussion. So, this comes from Chris. He would like to get our take on recording practice sessions for personal practice, not with a band. Do do we? Is it recommended? Um, what advice would we have? Do we record our own practices? Do we record audio or video or both? How often do we record? And then how much of it do we review and when? Basically Go for it, buddy. all about audio and video. So, sure. Um, well, I mean, do we want to just jump into your two mic setup or handle this question a little bit first? We can. I mean, I'd, I'm actually curious to know: Do you record your practices? I okay. I do every day, almost every time. Actually, wow. for ever since I've had a studio, I record either <clears throat> with the full setup or I just turn my Zoom on or I have my iPhone running or my iPad or something to record because I've discovered that the fastest way to improvement is to record yourself and analyze what you're doing, no matter what. I mean, because you never sound how you think you sound, ever. Absolutely. So I record everything. I record a lot of audio, and recently I've been recording a lot of video for work but then i'm using that as a, a way to review like silly body movements or tendencies or facial tension has really become a thing for me now breathing yeah. i can see when i'm not breathing and when i am breathing and how i'm breathing and why i'm holding my breath so um yeah i think i think you should record as much as humanly possible and definitely review it and review it a lot like i'll record myself in the morning and I might seem like I'm a narcissist, but I will watch or listen to that thing all day long. Really? 
just because wow. every time I hear it, I'm like, there's something else. Like like that police track I recorded last week. Sure. When I posted, I'm like, that sounds good. I listen to it now. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of stuff to fix. <laughs> a whole wow. lot of really? stuff. Like dozens of things I'm hearing that I want to address. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's awesome. I say every time. And, and a good technique, which here I'm going to mention him. Hey, Mark, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I was just hanging out with, with Juliana yesterday, and he said that he records himself with video and then mutes it so he can only watch himself play. Oh, wow. And then that's how you discover you know certain movements that you do all the time that might be weird or just habits. Yeah. Like doing yeah. fills only in a clockwise motion, never going counterclockwise. Okay, never coming back. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I think every, awesome. I mean, if you have the, the ability to do it, record everything, post a lot of it for public consumption. That way you're kind of, you, you know, you have some, you're accountable for your own playing. And yeah, all the time. Any, always, yeah. every day. Wait, what did you say? I said anytime, always, every oh. day. I thought you said eight ball ways anytime. And I was like, oh man, I don't know about the eight ball ways. Yeah, you know. What is that? No, eight ball ways. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. That wasn't even weird. I just didn't know what the hell you said. Eight ball ways. That's my new band name, by the way. Eight coffee. ball ways. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Now, this is a shameless plug, but if you're ever nervous about hosting those videos that Mike was just talking about, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Join the Mike's Lessons family because Mike knows this. We have our own private Facebook page, and it is it is it's utopia for the internet. It's all positivity, and you can post you can post a video of you struggling with single strokes at sixty BPM, and you get nothing but great critique and positive feedback. I so, actually have one I was going to post this morning from my practice session on the family page. Yeah, I might, I'll do oh, it that's later. Awesome. It, it actually relates to what we're going to talk about in a bit as well. Quick question. Yes, sir. You are the managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Yep. You post publicly on the Mike's Lessons family page. Yep. These are all drummers that have committed to their education. They're committed to getting better. Has any of them ever reached out to you and tried to, like, get you to, you know, hook them up with something? No. No way. That is so cool. Yeah, no way. That is so awesome. So it's a safe place for you. Yeah, I don't even know if most people realize that I have a job in the industry. So, Bro, that's cool. they listen to the podcast. <laughs> they all know who you are. That's But that's what I want. I want them to treat you like, hey, I'm a drummer working on stuff. Because yeah, I mean, it doesn't gonna, matter what our clout is. It's like, well, I'm still struggling for myself, and you're struggling for yourself. So Yeah, the video I have is going to sound sad, but it's going up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Okay, well... I do record my practice. I'm in a very lucky situation where my drum set is set up with just kind of like uh, Mr. Dawson's. I've got cameras all around and microphones all around. I'm a little bit different. I record the end of my my practice. There's I should record more of it, but my entire day is filming videos. So I do – it's kind of the same as you, Mike. I see myself playing on camera all the time. But when I'm practicing – I just put my head down and practice for a long time, and then I will always record what the results should have been. Yeah. And that's what I listen to on my drive home or on my ride home. And so that's about what I do now. That leading into our two-mic setup. So last week, you guys got to hear Mike's two-mic setup. You were using the Shure KSM... 32s. 32s. So for this, I used two Audio-Technica AT4047 MPs. 
these are on sale on Sweetwater.com for eight hundred and fifty dollars. I'm sure we'll get an email from Musician's Friend saying that we don't mention them enough. Uh, I'm sure they're the same price on Musician's Friend and Music One Two Three and Casio Interstate Music, so everybody can be happy. So uh, I've got both of my microphones. In, it's funny when no one listens you can say anything you want but as soon as we started getting a following people are like hey I just want to let you know I'd like you to mention our coded heads a little bit more yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> like, alright fine uh, I was going to say one of my time. favorite drummers actually emailed me and said he listens to the show I'm like don't tell me that don't yeah, tell miss- me that ah, stop stop <laughs> you going to tell us who it was Elliot Covey who's that he's a a, a New York jazz like kind of out jazz drummer who who just blew me away 10 years ago with he was working with Rudrish Mahantapa and uh Fiji Iyer and I mean real creative creative so we're gonna, crazy stuff. Hopefully we'll feature him on the podcast soon. Yeah, I would hope so. I would, but he just I would well, love he, to he plays with it. Henry Threadgill and they just want a Pulitzer prize for their Did, last record. What? Yeah. <laughs> you can get a Pulitzer prize. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, for free jazz. Or no, I guess it's oh, not free oh. jazz. But anyway, Elliot, hello. Thanks for listening. He's awesome, amazing. Man. Very cool. All right, so I've got two Audio-Technica AT4047s. I went a little closer to the drum set than Mike did just because my room is quite boomy and quite echoey. It's not quite as dead as Mike, so I actually went about 38 inches away from the snare. I've got the overhead mic directly in the middle of the kit. Listening back to the recording, I could have backed it up uh, or moved it over to the right side of the drum set a little more. My floor tom's a little faint compared to my rack tom and yeah. my snare. Right. Did you notice that too? That's so common because it's lower than the rack tom. Good point. Yeah. So it's so it's technically about a foot away from the mic more than the rack tom. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, now I know. Because <laughs> as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, that floor tom is so faint. And I even was hitting it harder because I knew that going in. So Yeah, I've, even, I've so, thought about putting my kit completely flat to just record that way oh wow yeah yeah i could see that yeah definitely and i think too because even when i recorded my floor tom and rack tom close mic situations my rack tom always has more output than my floor tom so it's just those frequencies get picked up by the mic even more so so i have yeah i'm about 36 or 38 inches away from the um top of the drum set and i've got my mic set up about exactly where mike was so it's just almost right over the bass drum pedal i've got the microphone set in cardioid pattern i do have the negative uh, 10b 10 db pad on and then the mic in front of the drum set is 38 inches away from the snare and it's right at about the i would say the top of the bass drum hoop is where it's at so it's kind of getting all the low end from my from my drum set so that's where I started, and I didn't do a ton of EQing, and I didn't do a ton of compression because I wanted to just see if I was just trying to get a YouTube video up or just trying to get a Facebook video up, how could I get this thing to sound? And I was just shocked at how even of a drum set sound, besides that floor tom. I mean, it just sounds so even, and there's I just can't believe I don't have a kick drum mic in there. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? I, I think I might have the best kick drum sound I've ever had with no kick drum mic. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And I agree with what you said last week about I don't think it would work if I was mixing it in with a band. But drum set by itself, it sounds really it sounds, it sounds like really you, good. Right? It sounds – yeah, it's like – and it's so honest. I mean yeah. you said this last week too. Your playing is what's going to need to be adjusted with that microphone setup. Exactly. And I, I really am having a hard time trying to figure out – 
am I going to go back to all close mics? Because I am always playing by myself. I don't have to mix in with a band. And I really enjoyed that sound that I got because I felt like if the hi-hats were too loud or the snare was too loud, now it's up to me. Yeah. I don't get to bring the snare mic down. I don't get to bring the kick mic down. It's up to me to mix it. So well, it's a good thing you bought that 32-track uh, interface. Don't be a... <laughs> <laughs> don't be a richard nixon <laughs> uh, <laughs> i need all 32 tracks i'm gonna come i'm gonna have a choir come in here and i'm gonna individually mic everyone's hand clap all right i need all 32 tracks. that was for a different reason we'll yes, talk about yes, that yes. later but i yeah i do love the setup I want to try it with more mics. Um, and like I said, as far as my EQ, let me pull up the session real quick. I don't have a ton going on. On overhead one, uh, the actual overhead, I've got a little compression and it's pushing it, it's pushing that track down about two to four decibels. Um, and it's a pretty fast compressor. And then on EQ, I just took out, uh, Pretty much I did a little tiny scoop from 250 to 460. Yeah. So I took out some mids and then didn't really add in any highs. Those mics pick up a lot of highs, so I didn't need to do that. And then I dropped. I did a low shelf at 40 hertz just to kind of get rid of that. And then on the one that's in front of the bass drum, same thing with the compression. But on that one, I did pump up 60 Five hertz to get a little more bass drum sound. I dropped way more to two fifty or two eighty on that one, and then I didn't add in any high end at all. So Sweet. I didn't do a ton of stuff. And then I think on the master track, those were on the individual tracks. On the master track, I put a tiny bit of compress or a, sorry, a tiny bit of compression, tiny bit of reverb. So there's a little reverb in there, and then I have this one plugin that's called the uh, Tesla Pro MK2, and all it is is it's it's just kind of a uh, a tape emulator so it just gave it a little more warmth cool. and so it wasn't so harsh and that's all i did but it's shocking how different that recording sounds from yours just because of the microphones and the room yeah i mean we used pretty similar gear yeah exactly the room is so, so important it really is it's a it's a because the the sound that i got definitely sounds more roomy and and i even have my mics lower than yours because of that yeah um and it still has a very roomy sound so let's uh let's give those two mics a listen So that's the two mic setup. Uh, by the way, our intro was recorded with the two mic setup as well. So last week as well, right? Last week as well. That was the two mic setup. Yeah, and that that was actually what kind of freaked me out. Was I listened uh, to the podcast at the gym with my earbuds in? I was like, "Damn, my drums sound good." And I was like, "Oh no, that was only the two mics." Uh, I don't want to switch to two mics. Yeah, uh, well, you might have to. I know. I'm thinking about it, honestly. It's kind of messing me up. I mean, I might switch to two mics and then maybe just have a floor tom mic on there. 
you know. Or the other thing that I've I thought about doing today was two mics is where I start my setup, and then I just slightly bring in some some close mics yeah. just to fill up the sound instead of doing the opposite, which is getting your drum tone set with the close mics and then bringing in the room to give it life. I'm thinking about going the opposite way. Yeah, I'd be more, I'd be curious if you experience some phasing when you start to do that. Okay. So let me well, know. on my 32 channel interface, I'll hit the phase button, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll delay it because it's all on my iPad now. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into some education. It's been a while since we've talked about that stuff on this podcast, and obviously that is my passion, so I love talking about it. And I wanted to kind of talk to you, Mike, about building independence over a new foot ostinato. So the three main ostinatos that I use as a teacher, they're not. Johnston specific things. They are very applicable to different world grooves. So I use the samba from Brazil, the bio from Brazil, and the tumbao from Cuba. And so the tumbao will fit with the mambo and the songos and other salsa music. The samba obviously goes with samba and bossa nova. And then the bio goes with a, a few different uh, partido altos and uh, different other Brazilian styles. So those are the three that I use with my students generally. But I think the process of learning of gaining freedom over any foot ostinato is the same for me. It doesn't matter how what the ostinato is. And I'm wondering if you've ever really studied ostinatos. Have you just sat down and been like, okay, I'm gonna, I need to have freedom over the samba or over the bio? I did, I, um, especially back in the college days when I was playing a lot of Latin music and stuff. Those those ostinatos have to keep going, so you can't you can't play a samba solo and, and have the bass drum stop. It has exactly. to keep going. Um, so yeah, just kind of probably what you're gonna talk about is i just went through all the subdivisions and then started adding accents and then started adding rests and then eventually just tried to string four bar phrases together Uh, and what i was practicing this morning which i was going to talk about was i had like a revelation last night which is kind of i can't believe i haven't had this revelation in 30 years but i should be practicing things that actually relate to what is on my gig (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) what like wow so I've been having this issue of like, man, I, I barely ever play drum solos, but inevitably at every gig I'm going to have to do one sort of a solo. So three minutes out of a four-hour night, I'm, I feel like I'm really bad about myself because I just don't practice drum soloing. Sure. So like, well, if I need to work on drum soloing, I shouldn't say, all right, let me examine the entire history of drum soloing and transcribe Benny Goodman all the way up sure. to John Bonham and beyond. Like, let me just focus on the one song that I actually know that I'm going to have to play a solo in and learn how to solo in that one song. Yeah. So the song is Freeway Jam by Jeff Beck. Okay. Which has like a rolling triplet shuffle groove. So the ostinato that I started practicing was it's triplets. So the hi-hat is playing quarter notes, the bass drum is playing on beat one and then the offbeat of beat one, and then on three and on the offbeat of beat three. So one, uh, three, okay. uh. Okay. Yeah, that's my ostinato. So wait, you have to solo over that? Well, I decided that's what I'm going to practice. Oh, like, I, I need to start somewhere with soloing, and I'm like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. I can't. By the way, I can't stop. I'm just <laughs> my feet are going to be doing this for the rest of your story. <laughs> so I just started running triplets, and then then phrasing, you know, going through all the permutations of accents, and then what hung me up, which is what the video that I did was I decided to double that bass drum part with an accent and then permutated an eighth note every two or three bars or two or four bars so that so it becomes this moving accent phrase but it's still the same like eighth note eighth note rest 
another eighth note. Sure. So they're just moving that through the whole measure. And there are a few that just called me up. I'm like, all right, I got to practice those. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's the mo- that's what you're looking for is that thing where it's like, oh wow, well that I can't do that. I now I look forward to it. I think everybody, all of my students, let's say that we're working on the samba is usually the easiest one because it's one beat long. It's one e, a one e, a one e, a one e, and where tumbao is two beats long, one a two and one a two and and bio is two beats long, one and a two and one right. a two and so the samba only takes your brain one beat worth of four sixteenth that's to to memorize well i get them doing quarters eights we skip eighth note triplets at first because eighth note triplets against a samba is not a lot of yeah happy co- uh, collaboration 16th notes double strokes paradiddles and then we get to paradiddle diddles and once it's going one e and a two e and a three e and a one e and a two e and a th- that they find that like oh i can't do this and it's like well you can play the samba and you can play the paradiddle diddle so you just have to work it out. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I have no magic pill for you. I can't skip the practice. You're just going to have to practice it. And that's why it's so fun to work on these ostinatos is you find these things where it's like, oh, if you would have asked me if I could do it, I would have said yes. But now that you're making me do it, I can't do it. Great. Now I found a weak link in my armor. I'm going to fix it. Yeah. So my, my goal with my students is very simple. When you're learning an ostinato, anything that you can play with your hands, you should be able to play over that ostinato. So if I play, you know... Four thirty second notes and two sixteenth notes. Then I get my feet going. Doom, chitta, doom, chitta, doom, chitta, doom, chitta. And I have to be able to do that. Yeah. And then if I can't, then it's like okay, that's because that would be my goal with any ostinato is that I keep the ostinato going and then I just have a nice hand drum solo. But I don't want to have you know Swiss triplets out of bounds for me because I haven't worked out groups of threes over this ostinato. So. Ostinatos, guys, if you haven't worked on them, I mean, they can be simple. Ostinato just means repeated pattern. So a left foot quarter note is an ostinato. But when you get into to two, two voice ostinatos, then it gets really cool. And then three voice ostinatos as well, where you're just playing maybe uh, a ride cymbal pattern of one and a two and a three and a four over the tumbao or the bio. And then it's a left hand freedom exercise. So then I do the same thing. And do all the permutations, the downbeats, the e's, the ands, the uhs, the doubles, the triples, and really grow that stuff. When do so, you get into improvising? Pretty late. Yeah, because you, I, yeah, because I, you can't improvise if you don't have any tools to improvise with. You know, it's hard to have a conversation if you don't know any words. So, I would say the things that have to be done before I'd ever let them loose on any kind of improvising is quarter notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes, then quarter notes. Or single hits moving through the permutation. So hitting the downbeat, hitting the E, hitting the and, hitting the uh. Then I would do the 16th notes, and I would do that exact same thing I just said, but it would be the accent. So accenting yeah. the downbeat. So go through all of that. Then some hand patterns, some double strokes, uh, and then single paradiddles, some double paradiddles, paradiddle diddles. And once we have that, then, then maybe I'll say, okay, let's trade four-bar phrases. And I have to remind people, too, that when I say, hey, we're going to trade four-bar solos, solo, that word does not mean show off. It means play by yourself. Right. You don't have to beat me. You don't have to blaze me. It's like you can literally – I mean the great thing about an ostinato, like if I have my feet going, doom, shut the doom, shut the doom. The great thing about an ostinato is I don't have to play anything. This is covering up all the sound in the room. Doom, shut the doom. So I can go, so it's like enjoy the fact that you worked out all this independence so that you can play with more space. Yeah. It gets muddy if you just blaze over a samba or a bio. So, 
Awesome. Well, hopefully everyone at home will start practicing their ostinatos. Now it is time to get into some gear review. And this is really exciting because I get to I get to review something, and it's the Modern Drummer 14x6 40th Anniversary Snare Drum. This is the Walnut Snare, correct? It's a four, it's a six and a half inches deep. Oh, six and a half. <clears throat> yeah, it's a three ply walnut poplar mahogany. So this walnut poplar mahogany. Yeah. Okay. So the cherry that we'll review later, the cherry is a is solid cherry. That's the yeah, solid steam bent cherry. Got it. So this is. Say it again, walnut, poplar, mahogany. Yeah, right? so the inside is, is mahogany, the core is poplar, and the outside is walnut. Okay, in this snare, you mentioned to me that this kind of started the whole thing for you. So did this just get sent in, and is it RBH drums? No, uh, yeah, it's RBH, but it was it was a – I mean, I, I, I own an old WFL three-ply drum. Okay. That is great, but I just won't take it out on gigs because it's just a little unreliable. I mean, it's just an okay. old drum, and it's a, I think it's, yeah. I think it might be a six-lugger, too, so I just don't use it, but it sounds so awesome, and I know that that's a very popular drum with a lot of session drummers. Steve Jordan, uh, Charlie Drayton, these guys love these drums, so I wanted to get a modern version of it uh, built, and then have it be the modern drummer drum. Um, and Bruce nice. Bruce suggested uh, the outer walnut to be to bring in a little bit more of a modern tone and just a cool look. It, it is gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. And then the reinforcement hoops on that one are those are solid maple. I think huh. they might be yeah, solid no, you're cherry. Right. I think they're they're maple. Okay. I've got yeah because when you turn it over, it's just like oh okay yeah. that's. It, it makes me want to play the snare with a clear head on top. I want people to see inside that drum. <laughs> right. So, so these drums are still available on Reverb.com, right? I, actually, they're available directly through us. You just same email okay. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We have we have a few left, but we'll we'll keep making them as long as people want them. But until well, until December, December we're. Done. I I remember I I texted you the second I unpacked it, and I was like, oh crap. <laughs> This drum is amazing. Yep. <laughs> uh, on, and now, I can't believe how light it is, too. Is yeah. that just because of the hardware? I mean, you've yeah. got two lugs on it and just regular triple flange hoops. Yeah, and I think the poplar is, is just a light wood. Yeah. And there's not much but when on I, it. Yeah. What, I mean, God, if you're a gigging drummer, that's a, that's a saver right there. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it, So, guys, as far as the Sonic review, I was shocked at how fat this thing can sound while still being so snappy like you can tap on the head as light as possible with your finger with your middle finger and you will hear snare resonance right away but it doesn't it's not so snappy that if i hit my toms the whole thing just starts vibrating like crazy it's got a huge ceiling for volume tons of volume you can get out of this drum but sometimes when you have like if you have a 14 by six and a half bell brass snare drum Sometimes it's almost like a Marshall amp. It doesn't really do its job until you crank it to 10. Right, yeah. And that's how I've always felt about the bell brass. Like if you tap it, it's like, eh, it sounds like a drum. But if you nail it, it's like, oh, my goodness. Yep. This is not that. This drum sounds just as good playing a, like a quiet press roll as it does just nailing the crap out of it. It has an awesome cross-stick sound. I'll play both for you in the, in the example. And it has a, a really good tuning range as well. So I, if you're looking for your first or another professional snare drum and you need a 14 by six and a half this thing is just fantastic it's it just sounds like a good snare drum but i think the other thing is i don't own a lot of six and a half so i was kind of reintroduced to it yeah um so it's it it really really blew me away i think i think it's fantastic and i'm gonna have nate martin who does our cameras here he has become 
he literally needs to be featured on the podcast in the future because this kid came to drum camp. Then a couple years later, he's we call him six eight and eight, and it's not a time signature. He's literally six eight. Well, he was he was a carpenter and installing flooring, and it was just wrecking his body at six mm-hmm. eight, not having a good life. And out of nowhere, he moves to Sacramento to become a drummer without telling me. I didn't even know about it, so he wasn't like using me or saying like, "Hey, can you hook me up with a gig?" Came to Sacramento. And just doubled down, and he said, I have this much money until I'm in some serious trouble, but it's enough to buy me time to become a drummer. And he did it, man. The dude is like our number one on-call country drummer. Does not like country at all, <laughs> but he it's the, only, it's the only music that pays in town. And he gigs two or three nights a week in country bands, and he could gig more if he wanted to. He works now at my old school that I used to own, the Drum Lab, and he's got like 45 students there. Great. He does our cameras here. And anyways, I told him, I said, let me rehead this because I have to, I want to do the sound test for the podcast with the head that it ships with. So it's a very honest test. But after that, I'll put a two ply coated head and I'm like, dude, take it to a gig. I want, I want you to try this thing out because yeah. he actually doesn't own a professional snare right now. His most expensive snare, uh, is kind of like the $250 pork pie thing. Yeah. Um, that, and, and it's a third, it's a 13. It's so he doesn't have the oh, snare yeah. he should have for his gig. This was going to so sound like, like a modern country drum. He's going to be in heaven. Yeah. I, I can't wait. Well, let's give this thing a listen. Awesome. Well, thank you for sending me those snare drums, and uh, good luck trying to get them back. <laughs> All right, moving on. So uh, I also wanted to check out the 22-inch Minel Byzance Dark Big Apple Ride because I have the 22-inch Minel Byzance Big Apple Ride, and it really does sound like they were really chasing something from the past that they were trying to recreate someone else's symbol, the, the regular Big Apple Ride. It sounds fantastic, but it, it, it doesn't sound very Minel. Mm. And I mean that as a compliment. They just said, you know what? Our jazz drummers on our roster are asking for this. Let's create them what they're looking for, which is cool. But the Big Apple Dark Ride is minor to the core, man. Now, have you played this, or did you see it at NAMM at all? Yeah, I got to play a little bit at NAMM. Not, not, not a ton. I did review the original, but I, I haven't reviewed this one. Sure. And so this ride, it's a 22-inch ride. It's very thin, and it is so buttery. I wouldn't suggest it for if you're playing a ton of fast, fast stuff and you need a ton of stick articulation. This is not the ride. If you're going to play Gravity by John Mayer, mm. this is the ride. Ah, you know, cool. or, or a groove like that, even though I think 90% of that song is on hi-hats. Uh, but if you're going to be in that just slow, every single hit of the ride counts. And it just, you hit it and then it goes, yeah. And then you hit it and it goes, yeah. And then you, you lay into the side and it goes, what? Bush. It's... <laughs> This thing is just a beautiful symbol. Uh, one thing for the Facebook cats around the world, 
not every ride has to have a massive bell. I, it's like every time I post a video, they're like, yeah, but I couldn't play that bell on my metal gig. And it's like, well, you shouldn't be, be playing this ride on your metal gig. <laughs> I mean, like, it's designed to have a small bell. That's the whole point, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. And people, I don't think people realize how much the bell changes the sound of the cymbal. Yeah. It's a huge part of how your cymbal sounds. So it's not like you can just have this massive, thick ice bell at the top and then a buttery jazz cymbal down below. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the, so. Actually, <laughs> no. The, the, the bell of the transition ride was the big compromise because I, I, it, it was very weird how much the thickness of the bell changed the sound of the cymbal. So yeah. uh, we had to really work on that bell. So this does not have – I mean this is like – a very tiny little cup bell, but this is all about the symbol itself. It's a 22. So it's got a, a, just a great kind of spread to it. And it really, really will. If you look, if you're looking for a buttery ride, this is the one. So you played it up at the, what at their booth at Nam? I guess. Yeah. That alongside, I think they're 16 inch pure vintage, pure hi hats. Mm -hmm. It was nice. I mean, it, it, it definitely feels really nice. Doesn't it feel good? Yeah. Yeah, it's got that buttery flex to it. Yeah. So super cool. It's it's a nice symbol. And it's a great addition to the the regular one that you've already reviewed because they are not the same symbol whatsoever. So I think it's very cool. So let's give it a listen. it's time for pick of the week so i'm going to start and mine is pretty simple um for all you ipad users out there there's an app that it used to be free but now they're charging for it i got it when it was free and i'm never going to update my ios so it'll, it'll remain free <laughs> hopefully forever but it That's is awesome. the dm1 drum machine app yeah by, uh, finger lab i think it's seven bucks now 6.99 and if you don't if you if you're into electronic drums, it, it has all the classic drum machines in it, and you can program it. But it's also great because if you're not into that stuff, you don't have to buy a bunch of machines. It's a, it's basically a $7 drum machine that's as good as I – mean, you look for an old Roland 808 online, you're going to pay like 2000 bucks for those suckers. Yeah. So, and this has all of those sounds. All those sounds. I, I, I use that one. Yeah, DM tons one. of program and, and effects. And, and I think the new version, you can import your own sounds and stuff. So – just wow. just as a as a fun metronome, it's great. Just program a, a simple beat or percussion parts, or upload your own loops and stuff. It's a good musical way to practice without having just being a cowbell. Um, and you can also, and if you get deeper into it, you can use it on your gigs if you need drum machines and stuff. So, yeah, highly recommend. I, I use DM One a lot. I, I'll program something that I'm trying to play, and then I go to the weirdest sound that they have. And I just use that to support me, but it kind of keeps me on track. So it's not like that I'm covering up another drum set in my right. in-ears. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great yeah, app. It is. I, that was when the iPad first came out. I mean, that, that was one of the first drum machine programs that was available as an app. And because I remember getting it free as well. And I mean, there were at least three years in a row when people would ask me like, hey, what should I use for a drum machine app? It was always DM1. 
to yeah. one. It's just it's an easy interface, and it has all those classic 808 sounds as far as t- and as well as tons of others. So yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Great. That's my pick. What's yours? Nice. Mine is uh, kind of silly, but not silly at all. Uh, recently, I started riding my bike to work. Uh, I usually drive in the morning and do all of my work. Then I go home for dinner at some point, and then after the the two shake rule. Have we talked about the two shake rule? No. The two. Oh, yeah. Is this a bathroom policy? Rule. No. <laughs> God, grow up. The heck. <laughs> uh, no, the two shake rule. So that's my wife. Amber goes to bed pretty early. So the two shake rule is if I can. She just needs me to be in bed when she falls asleep. But I stay up till one a.m. She goes to bed at nine. So if I can shake her twice without her waking up, I'm allowed to leave and do whatever I want. <laughs> because in her mind, I will be in bed with her from the time she went to bed until she wakes up. That's great. So we have a, that's, how we, that's how Mike's Lessons was started was I needed to learn how to develop websites t- eight years ago. So the two shake rules started in our little tiny apartment. And as soon as I could shake her twice without her waking up, then I was able to go on lynda.com and learn HTML and JavaScript yeah. and everything else. So uh, so I give her the two shakes. If she's out, then I get on my bike and I ride back to work. And that's at about 9 p.m. It's a, it's a few miles, but I take a longer route just so I actually have a little more of a ride. And then I usually work until midnight and then I ride home. And so I would say overall it's about 10 miles total. Wow. The reason I'm bringing this up is not for exercise. You guys can exercise on your own at the gym. About two miles into the ride at, you know, on, I'm on, luckily I have bike paths around here, so it's very safe. It's just, I start thinking of so many creative possibilities for drum set, for teaching, for filming new videos. And it's just get some fresh air in your lungs, man. I mean, that's all it is. Is like, I just, I've been having some of the most clear, kind of thought moments out on the road lately and it's midnight it's pitch black i mean i've got my lights i'm very safe i've got lights on the front on the back on my helmet i look like a freaking nerd ball just (laughs) riding down the road i'm very safe but you know i i'll listen to the dan patrick's show podcast or something and i just slowly kind of keep inching that volume down until it's dead silence and there's nothing in my ears and then i just start thinking of some really cool things of how we can move education forward and how i could create more inspiration on the internet or whatever so i I recommend it for everybody that's great my uh my moment of clarity last night was just when i went outside and sat on my deck around midnight completely silent completely black let me just sit here because it was a nice evening it's like oh i should probably practice things that i'll actually use hey revelation (laughs) hey hey revelation (laughs) only took me 30 years to get there fantastic (laughs) awesome all right everybody we'll have an amazing week go practice your ostinatos order a 40th anniversary modern drummer snare get into anything you can and keep sharing it with us we love that stuff eventually we're gonna have to make a modern drummer podcast page so people can share their videos with us because i'd love to see these guys play yeah we should do listeners so we'll talk about that in the future so until next week this is mike and i sign off if you want to send your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com and be sure to always go into your podcast software however you're listening to us and give us a nice high rating and a review because that helps other people find us so that this podcast can keep growing 